Welcome to season four of Passing the Peace. Featuring Amy Meyer and Nancy McCraney. Passing the Peace is a podcast with a progressive look at faith, religion, God, the Bible, and some other stuff. If you're listening right now, it only takes a few clicks to help us out. You can subscribe to Passing the Peace. You can give us a review, and you can even share the podcast with someone who might be interested. Nancy and I are honored to dedicate this podcast to Elizabeth, and you will hear a little bit of her story in just a little bit. So in this episode of the podcast, we talk about a subject that isn't always comfortable to talk about. We talk about suffering. And whenever I talk about a difficult topic in church, I usually try to make a promise that we're going to come to the other side of it or that the whole service isn't going to be a one big downer. So I did try to make a promise like that when I preached this sermon, but my promise went a little bit sideways in a somewhat hilarious and adorable way. So we'll start out by telling you a little bit about that. But it was funny because I said, you know, we're going to talk about suffering. Yeah, but it's okay because there's a baptism later. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> and then the little girl who got baptized, she's two, but she, I think of her as a baby because she's so, you know, like... Um, kind of cherubic and... Yeah. I know. And just face. the little, um, like, wispy curls. Yeah. And she did not want to be baptized. No, she was not having any part of that. <laughs> yeah. I know. Bless her heart. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. I got her the first time with the water and then she, you know, then she saw me coming and she was trying to bat my hand away. Yeah, you know, right. and her mom was like, hold my I arms know, I know. I was yeah. like, oh, honey. <laughs> and I always feel for the parents, you know, and I think, you know, like, it won't, it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. We all yeah. are fine with this. Yeah. But I know when it's your baby, you know, I, at least for me, and maybe they didn't have this experience, but you know, you, you see all these movies and pictures and of course social yeah. media and everybody looks yeah. peaceful and like they're having a blast and it's right. like, well, that's not always true. <laughs> yeah. And I remember um, when my boys were baptized, they were like two and four and I wanted it to be this hallmark moment. So I had come up with all this stuff I wanted to say about each boy and I was going to be part of the baptism. Uh-huh. Um, that was when our previous pastor was here yeah. and our four-year-old was under the pew and had to be drug out. <laughs> and then I think sort of wanted to be under the communion table because he didn't want people looking at him. Uh-huh. And then the two-year-old was so squirmy, Bill put him on his shoulders and he kept flopping over uh-huh. like he was like, and it was, it's hilarious to watch now, but at the time I was like, this is not turning out so <laughs> I envisioned it, you know, yeah. and really nothing in my life has. So I should get over that now, but, um, yeah, baptisms yeah. are kind of a hot mess sometimes. They are a, a real metaphor for life and for, death. And birth, you know, it's yeah. like, yeah, <laughs> it ain't made for TV all the time. So, so here's the thing. What happens when your life isn't a Hallmark movie? What happens when your plans don't go as you had thought they might? What happens when trauma and suffering enter the picture? And how do we talk about those things? That's where we start in this conversation. But it was so, it was so beautiful. It was. I, I, I mean, really, it was beautiful. I remember and when I was listening to it thinking, this is a 
powerful and important conversation and it, it really spoke to me mm. and I'd never thought about that scripture very much and a lot of those I think a lot of those texts I'm like yeah 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 suffering is good but I don't <laughs> really think it is and uh, you know <laughs> but the way you opened it up through the conversation with this woman I just thought was so great and I you know, I think about suffering a lot because of my job. Um, yeah. And and I kind of jokingly say, oh, it's one of my favorite subjects. It's not, I don't, I want to be real, like, I hate to suffer. Right. And I hate to watch people suffer. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't really like the way the, the system is set up that we all have to go through these really hard things. And I've noticed in my own life and in other people's lives that often it's a portal Mm-hmm. into a deeper life it not always right but it takes you to a di- and you mentioned this in the sermon you takes you to a different level and sometimes that level feels like it's down yeah. a level mm-hmm. it's not like you're ascending nancy mentioned her job so i just wanted everybody to know in case you don't already that nancy is the director of bereavement services for a local nonprofit hospice the scripture reading that we talk about is 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 14. And I'll read that for you at the end so that you can hear it, but I just wanted you to know which one it was. Now, the way that I ended up selecting this scripture was because of something that a friend of mine said. Her name is Laura, and then I had a conversation with her about it. So I'm gonna share the piece of the sermon that talks about that so that you can get the full picture. And just a fair warning, I start out by talking about church attendance, but that is a very short, small part of the entire conversation. I just wanted to mention that because I don't want people to think, oh, here she goes again, you know, focusing on church attendance. Uh, That's just a very small piece of it. But it caught my attention this week because I was, I knew that this passage was in the lectionary And I haven't ever preached from it before, so I was kind of looking at it. And I was in the locker room at swim team, and one of my swim team friends was talking about how people who go through a trauma and experience suffering will often stop going to church. And that kind of caught my attention because I have witnessed that that people who come to church regularly, who are every Sunday attenders, can experience some kind of trauma in their lives, and then they stop coming. I've seen it with a couple of my friends. I've seen it with about two people, I think, in this church. And I've seen it with many of my hospice patient families and caregivers back when I was a hospice chaplain. Many of the people I would visit would talk about how they stopped going to church, centering around something that had to do with the diagnosis of their loved one. And then on the other side of that, there's this phenomenon where someone who doesn't ever go to church experiences some kind of trauma and suffering and then comes to church, either a one-time event or even something prolonged over time. And in both cases, I think it's just evidence of some kind of a spiritual shift that happens with trauma and suffering. 
And so I started thinking about my friend who was in the locker room. And I knew that she had had a lot of pain in her life. And I started thinking about this scripture. And I decided to text her and ask if she would be willing to talk to me about suffering. And I, I wasn't sure if I should do that because I, I thought, well, I don't want to depress her. And I don't want to overstep. And I, I don't want to you know, make her sad or whatever. But it was almost like as soon as I hit send, my phone rang. And she was like, I want to talk about suffering. <laughs> and I was like, you do? OK. So we started talking about her story. And she was so gracious to share much more of her story uh, with me. It's a long story, but in a nutshell, she and her husband have a daughter named Elizabeth. And Elizabeth has been diagnosed with a very rare condition that has something to do with one of her genes. And it's resulted in some seizures and medical issues. And ultimately, she is a young adult that has a brain that is like an Alzheimer's patient. So she's lost her memory. She was diagnosed very unexpectedly and suddenly when she was in college about five years ago, uh, Rhodes College on a full academic scholarship. And she now is 24 years old and lives full time in a nursing home. And of course, I can only imagine that unique kind of pain that my friend goes through watching her daughter suffer the way that she has suffered and suffering along with her. And she talked about some very specific examples of why it's difficult for her to go to church that are really specific to her situation. So she said at her church where they were very frequent, you know, involved members, she said that uh, it's difficult because of the memories. She said there's still artwork hanging on the walls in some of the buildings that her daughter created when her daughter was a child. Um, she said that the pew where they sat as a family, all the, all the things that bring up these memories are very difficult for her. And she said, I know that memories like that sometimes are comfort for people, but for us it's not comfort right now, it's pain. But she also talked about some of the things that I've heard from so many people that aren't really specific to her situation, but that I've heard from many people. And one of the most common things I hear centers around the theology of prayer. It's very, very difficult for someone who is suffering and who's prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for some kind of outcome, usually a life or death outcome, and has not had the prayer answered in the way that they had hoped, and then maybe to come to church and have somebody say to them, I prayed for rain, yay, it worked. You know. It's, very, it's not that it's not okay to pray for rain, but it's just that it's very difficult for someone who's in that situation to hear those kinds of things and to wonder why is God listening to some prayers and not others, or why is God answering some prayers and not others? And if you pray more, does God listen more, and how does it work, and why is it not working the way that I was hoping that it would work, and why am I suffering? And then that leads into anger often, anger at God. And, and of course, you don't want to come to church when you're angry at God, which is a very common thing. And then the other thing that a lot of people say is that it's difficult 
to come to church and, and for people who are very well-meaning, people who love you and who are trying to find something to say to you, but it's hard to deal with what they say. And so maybe you come and, and you just want to come and kind of experience some kind of relief and people say, uh, oh, well, God probably just needed another angel or, you know, God won't give you more than you can handle or, you know, this is all part of God's plan. And it's these kinds of platitudes that can really get to you when you're suffering. And when we were talking, I said to her, I said, do you think that maybe the reason people say things like that is that they're just trying to make sense of suffering? And she said, yeah, I think so. But then she said, but it doesn't make sense. And she's right about that. Suffering does not make sense. And that's a difficult place to land and a difficult place to stay. And so I asked her if she had found anything that had been helpful for her, because I knew that she had stopped going to her church. And I said, have you found a substitute or something that you've found that has been really helpful? And she said, not really, but I do love nature and I love the beauty of nature. She said, I love looking at art. I love art, music, being around the people I love. Those are the kinds of things that are life-giving for her. And then she started telling me about a trip that she took recently to New Mexico. Uh, her husband was encouraging her, you just need to get away, you just need to go on a trip for a little bit, just kind of get out of here. So she went to New Mexico, and while she was there, she went to an art exhibit. And I don't know the artist's name, I neglected to ask, but she described his work as being really beautiful and really feminine. And she said that she was looking around at the exhibit, and he had all these very beautiful, very feminine pieces hung at eye level where you could see everything. And then she suddenly stumbled across a piece that was very different from the other artwork hanging in the room. She said this piece was all black and it was hanging about an inch from the floor. And when she stood in front of it, she started crying. She ended up going out from there into a, a long walk but in the meantime, the artist had been there and had seen her tears. And he figured out how to contact her. And he called her. And he said, I knew when I saw your reaction that that art was for you. And he talked about how he created it. He created it over a nine-month period of time. And the way that he made it is he just rubbed charcoal into the canvas over and over and over again for nine months. And he arranged for her to have it and ship it to her and it's now hanging in her dining room. And she said, most people don't like it, but I love it. And she said, if you look at it from different angles, you can almost make out some kind of shape in the black. And I said, that's really interesting that it took him nine months to create it, because nine months, gestation period, some time that it takes to birth something new. And it's really very cool 
that if you look carefully, even in the darkness, you can almost make out the edges of something forming. And I asked her if she thought that the canvas was hung so low as maybe a metaphor for being on a different level. And that maybe hanging it low like that was an invitation for the viewer to enter into that level with the artist or with the sufferer. And she said, yeah, maybe. And I wasn't thinking about the time, but when I came back and looked at the scripture after our conversation, I realized that that idea of a different level is the comfort that I find in this scripture from 1 Peter. That God is with us on our level. That whatever suffering we might experience, whatever pain we might endure, it says the spirit of God is resting right now on you. God does not abandon us in our suffering. God is with us. Of course, it doesn't explain suffering. It doesn't make it more fair or more meaningful. But it does mean that when we are suffering, when we have to bear the unbearable, in the pain, in the darkness, in the grief, looking at the black as though, as though through tears, with smoky shapes starting to form. God is there. God is far reaching enough and dynamic enough and big enough to cover all of it. The Spirit of God is on you. I just thought it was amazing. Like the, the part about the painting I listened to that a couple times. Mm. The painting that she saw in the art gallery this yeah. was just black and it was down by the floor. Yeah. And that made me, I cried when I heard that. I was like, oh. of course it's down by the floor because that's where you are mm -hmm. when you're in those, I mean, it brings tears to my eyes right now. Yeah. It's like you're just flattened and there it is. Um, and I even sort of imagined seeing the painting close to the floor and sitting down, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Just sort of kind of that collapse that can happen emotionally and spiritually when you um, have really suffered or are suffering, you know? And it looks like at first just black, but if you move, you can start to see shapes and forms beginning to emerge. And I, I was so touched that she was so touched by that painting and then that the artist contacted her and said, I saw you weeping and I think this is your painting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I loved it when you said the spirit of God is on us. Mm -hmm. There was something about the word on that felt really comforting. Like, yeah, a, I imagine this big winged creature, you know, enfolding you in its wings. Um, so yeah, all of that. And then I know I'm just, but I loved this sermon. I, I got a lot to say about it cause I just, <laughs> it gave me a lot of thoughts. The idea that after trauma, a lot of people stop going to church. Mm -hmm. And you said you've noticed that. I have, yeah. Not, I mean, not across the board, but I have noticed it with certain people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And with my friend, that's what happened with her. The friend at the swimming center? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because there were too many memories. It kind of... Was that it, primarily? It seemed like there were... It was multifaceted. Yeah. I was almost kind of thinking that, you know, some people are coming into a church as if it's an emergency room. Uh-huh. They've experienced yeah. some kind of trauma yes. or something in their life, and they come to church maybe once or maybe prolonged, because this is like an ER situation where you're going to get, you know, some kind of help yeah. to continue on. But then there are other people that are here every week, no matter what, or at their own church every week, no matter what. And then it's more like a gym. Uh-huh. And so they're, uh-huh. you know, getting their spiritual workout. But then something happens, uh-huh. and it's like, here I've been going to the gym uh-huh. every week. Oh, yeah. And this happened. Yeah. And now I'm going to quit. I kind of wonder if that's part of, you know, could part be. of the thinking. Yeah, yeah. And I also think there's something, even in savvy churches, the awkward attempts for people to love you. Yeah. And it can just cause so much pain. Or people don't know what to say, so they don't say anything. I mean, it's almost like you can't win. Right. And I remember a woman saying in a group I was leading, she said the year, couple of years after her son died, if people asked how she was, it made her mad. If people didn't ask how she was, it made her mad. And she said, I'm amazed I have any friends, really. <laughs> yeah. Because it, everything was wrong. Yeah. And so nobody could really do anything that was right. And I think sometimes... After trauma, and I think a lot of these kind of situations feel really traumatic for people, it's like you pull away. You feel like life has pulled away from you and you just contract away from it. And Mm -hmm. being in large groups of people can be just exhausting. Yeah. Um, And even if you know they're just trying to say something loving to you, you don't have the energy to deal with it. Right. Yeah. You know, even a question of, how are you today? It's like, ugh, mm-hmm. I don't even know where to start, you know? Mm-hmm. And then she did mention, like, prayer time mm-hmm. is hard. Yeah. And I don't know what they had in their church, if they had, like, a time of joys and concerns that was during the worship service or if it was just a prayer list or if it was um, conversation after sure. the service or something. But she did mention listening to people talk about their own prayers being answered for things that comparatively were mundane yeah and how that feels and it feels almost like a betrayal yeah that her desperate prayers were not being answered her beloved daughter beautiful daughter right yeah Yeah. Yeah, i i know i i yeah and it feels it sort of trivializes it can feel like it trivializes prayer. Not that we shouldn't pray for everything, right? But in that right. kind of instance where you're just yearning for well, it's, someone's health or someone's yeah. life. Yeah. And yay, it rained. I, I'm so glad it rains, you know. Or <laughs> the girls' softball team won. Yay, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard because you want to encourage people to pray all the time for everything. Everything, right. But then... When you come up against someone who's facing something like that, how do you handle that? It's so difficult. And, you know, I've been going to this new spiritual director, and we've been talking a lot about prayer. And he keeps saying, imagine there's this field, and there's this beautiful tree, and it gives all this shade. And every day you go to that tree, and you sit, 
and your friend meets you there. Some days they can't make it, but you still go and you wait because you love being with this friend. And he said, that's an image of prayer. Hmm. You just show up every day and you wait. And sometimes it's just a great conversation or this wonderful time of just being close together. And sometimes you just wait. But he said, you put it all out there, everything. And I'm like, really? You know, intellectually, I know this, but in my heart, in my body, I'm like, everything, <laughs> like everything, <laughs> <laughs> the stuff I don't even want to be true, um, or I don't want to know about myself or, and he's like, of course, <laughs> you know, like you would with a really good friend, you just lay it all out there. Mm-hmm. And the friend says, oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. I, I I knew that, but I'm so glad you told me or that you showed because otherwise the friend can't transform that, whatever that is. So I, it's kind of changing my view of prayer from asking for things. I still do that. Like, oh, please. Or, yeah. But just like, here I am. Like, this is what's happening. This is all the gunk and the mess and the beauty and the fear. This is who I am today. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm still practicing that, but it feels more true to me at this point in my life. And I think that other kind of prayer where you kneel and you say words, and that's beautiful too. I just think sometimes in life, maybe especially after a trauma, the words aren't there. Or the words don't mean what they used to. Or it doesn't feel like anything's happening. Mm-hmm. But to just keep sort of showing up. Mm-hmm. I also want to go back to when you said um, your friend loves to talk about her daughter, Elizabeth, mm-hmm. and how important it is um, in the world of bereavement. We always try to say people's names, mm-hmm. you know, that so often what happens if you have a loved one that is really suffering or has died, um, people stop saying their name mm. because they don't want to upset you. But it's almost more upsetting. I think it is more upsetting for people to, it feels like they forgot this person that you love more than anything in the world. And so I try to do that. Yeah. Say, oh, I was thinking about Amos the other day and I just wanted to let you know I had this really sweet memory of this thing. And, you know, there may be people that don't like that, but I would say the vast majority of people appreciate that. Yeah. I've learned to try to ask what people want, and sometimes they don't even know themselves. Right. Because my default is I try to treat people how I think I would want to be treated mm-hmm. and do what I think I would want in that situation. Yeah. But then, of course, not everybody wants the same thing I know. as me. I know. <laughs> Yeah. So it's like you just have to ask. You do. Because you never know. Yeah. But it was so funny because I had I had just barely hit send on the text when I asked her if she would have a conversation with me about suffering. And she was calling me. I mean, I wow. was kind of expecting her to text back. Like, yeah, yeah maybe tomorrow or whatever. Or, or, no, I don't feel like talking about suffering. Yeah. And actually, we've never spoken on the phone before. Oh. We've only spoken in person at swimming, or we've exchanged maybe some very brief texts. Yeah. So it was kind of a shock when the phone started ringing. Yeah. Yeah. And she was like, she was in the middle of dealing with some other really um, taxing task. And she said, well, I'm just going to take a break so I can talk about suffering. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) 
Right. Do <laughs> you think it's kind of a relief sometimes to talk about it? She seemed to indicate that it was for her. Yeah. And I certainly think that that's true for most people. You know, that's what people do when they go to therapy. Right. You know, once a week for an hour. Or yeah. Seems like relieving the pressure cooker some, you know, if you're able to talk about it on a regular basis. Yeah. Somebody that really is interested. Yeah. And wants to listen. I think so often we're afraid of other people's suffering. And I've been thinking about this. Um, have, I, have we talked about this just world theory that I see in play all the time? And it's like, oh, that person has cancer, but I eat healthy and I've never smoked and I swim three times a week. So that's not going to happen to me because it's a just world. Right. Mm. But your friend knows it's not a just world. Right. That formula does not work. Right. And I've experienced that where it's like, oh, well, we did this when we were raising our kids. I mean, they don't say it out loud to you, but you right. can see the wheels turning and it puts separation between you and this person who's suffering. And I think we all kind of do it, mm -hmm. especially if, if somebody's going through something that's your worst nightmare. Right. It's like, okay, I start, my brain starts thinking, okay, this is why that thing could never happen to me. Right. It's a little bit of victim blaming in there. A little bit. It yeah. is. It's like, okay. And I don't think it's intentional right. most of the time, but that's how it feels. And it comes across. Right. You can see it in people's eyes. Their comments reveal it. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, what happened? Or, well, what, yeah. you know. They want to have some control. Yeah. Or somebody goes through a divorce. Well, what happened? It's like, that. it doesn't even matter, you know. Right. And actually, this could happen to any of us. Right. There is no guarantee and that is terrifying right right and to me it's like that's the symbol of that painting near the floor mm -hmm. there is no guarantee like how to how can we be with one another more honestly less fearfully knowing that we all struggle we all suffer some in ways that are so painful we draw back from that how do we lean toward that mm -hmm. and I know Brene Brown says you know we have to do our own work so that when you're suffering you feel safe in my presence and vice versa because if you don't do your own work then you're going to start bursting at the seams when faced with the pain of others yeah I heard somebody say once that when you're in a space talking to somebody who's going through something, then it's your job to help hold that for that time, but then you can't take it with you. Yeah, right. It's not yours. Right. Yeah. And I think sometimes we try to take it from them mm -hmm. and make them feel better. Right. And, and it's like that, don't do that either. Right. Like that is not yours. Yeah, stop being a fixer. Yeah, don't fix me. I don't yeah. want to be fixed. That's God's job, you know. Isn't it interesting that it's like love, great love, and great suffering are kind of our two greatest spiritual teachers. Right. Like, I, maybe deep, deep, deep prayer, but to me that's sort of another form of love. It's just interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Not to glorify it, right? Right. That's it, the problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
I should just confess what I told you is that, you know, I have this desire to pretty up my own story. Mm -hmm. Oh, look, here's what I learned from this. And here's how this turned out great. Um, And not everything turns out great. Right. And that's hard. That's hard to hold. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Some people get to the other side of suffering. Yeah. Or maybe they continue to suffer, but life goes on and new things happen. And maybe there's still that grief there or that loss, but there's also new joy. But for others, it's just like suffering and it continues to intensify and then you die. Right. I know. I know. And that's that's a reality that we've both seen. Yeah. Um, And the Spirit of God is on us. I think that was what was so profound Mm -hmm. about that scripture. Yeah. I was thinking about COVID in the early days of the pandemic. So much fear. And, you know, both our boys were struggling in different, very different ways. And my mom was struggling. It just felt like everywhere I looked, there was just like struggle, struggle, and so much unknown and so much fear. And I thought of this. I said, Bill, to my husband, I said, I need you to be a thunder shirt for me. Mm. Because my anxiety would get, so I couldn't contain it all. Yeah, and I couldn't shirt. sleep. I know. And I'm like, I just want you to, I just need pressure. Like, and I remember when I was little, I used to have my brothers sit on my legs, hmm. which is so weird, but I liked that pressure. It made mm-hmm. me feel really grounded. Yeah. And like a weighted you know, blanket. Yes. So having a weighted blanket or having Bill just kind of put his weight on me would just settle me down. Mm-hmm. And I think it's probably not that different from, you know, when you're patting a child's back to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And I used to need that. Like if I was really anxious and it's that on thing. It's yeah. That, I'm right here. You're grounded. You're safe. Uh-huh. So there's something about that, I think, even physiologically, which is why I responded to that word on. Yeah. The Spirit of God is on you. Yeah. The Spirit of God is on you. And I hope you can find comfort in that. Just as it says in First Peter 4, verses 12 through 14. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings, so that you may also be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory which is the Spirit of God, is resting on you. That's it for the podcast today. Remember, it only takes a few clicks to help us out. You can subscribe to Passing the Peace, you can give us a review, and you can even share the podcast with someone who might be interested. This is Amy Meyer coming to you from the First Presbyterian Church in Elgin, Texas. You can find us on our website at www.f pcelgin.org. That's First Presbyterian Church in Elgin, Texas. If you enjoy the kinds of conversations that we are having, and if you think that these kinds of conversations are important, 
then we invite you to come and join us. Join in on these conversations if you're in the area. And until next time, the peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. Now go and pass the peace to everyone you meet.